You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, Episode 25. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. As we are here mid-holiday season, Christmas parties are everywhere. I just had three of them over the past three days, and family gatherings are coming up, and people are bringing in all of the Christmas baking and the Christmas goodies into the office, and there is just food everywhere. And in situations where there's food everywhere, there are also the food pushers and the food police and the people who think that they have to offer you all of this commentary around food. And so I thought today we would talk about different strategies for handling the food pushers or the food police in your life. Just seems that all year long, but particularly at the holiday time, everyone has an opinion when you're trying, or you know, even in some cases, not trying to lose weight or be healthy, um, or even if you just have certain food preferences. Like, you know, for example, I decided when I was 12 years old that I wanted to be a vegetarian. I loved animals and I didn't want to eat them. It was simple as that. And I actually ate a vegetarian diet up until I was about 32 years old. So this lasted a long time for me, but I had nothing but commentary and chirping around this choice when I was a child. So if you think about it, it was mid-80s, I think. Um, yeah, mid-80s mid when I was 12 years old. And back then, at least in rural Alberta, vegetarianism was not a thing. There were not vegetarian options on restaurants. And, you know, I grew up in small town, rural Alberta, where farming was the staple of the community. And we were praised for our Alberta beef. And how dare I not support our farmers and eat beef? So I got this commentary all of the time. So it was just something that I, I grew up with. And I also grew up with a mother who, you know, God bless her, loved to push food as well. So at family gatherings, if anybody ever had an empty plate, she would be right there with the serving bowl and the serving spoon, ready to give you a second helping. And God forbid if you said no, that just wasn't an option. And, you know, so I just kind of grew up resigned to the fact that when mom put more food on my plate, I was just going to have to eat it. And then if you fast forward decades, you know, into adulthood, when I am seriously trying to lose weight, then came all of the comments of, you know, questions like, can you eat this on your diet? Or, you know, helpful suggestions like, you know, my friend lost 67 pounds doing X, Y, Z. Um, so maybe you should give that a try too. And although those things feel and sound so innocuous, they, they never sat right, right? They always just made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And, you know, I think food police come in many, many forms. But what they all have in common, I think, is that they all believe they know what's best for you. And I choose to believe that most of the time they're coming from a good place. You know, they just want to help you out. But I think sometimes there is a little bit of 
judgment and criticism underneath all of that as well. And, you know, I'm thinking, thinking back to times when I go out for dinner with a bunch of girlfriends, for instance, and I'm terrified about what they're thinking about what I order, right? Because I'm wondering, are they thinking, you know, what's the fat girl going to eat? And then I'm thinking, you know, is it wrong if I order an appetizer if nobody else does? Or I'm thinking, you know, maybe I just better order a salad and look good. And then if I'm still hungry, I can eat something else in my car later, right? And yeah, these are all thoughts originating from my own brain. But, you know, sometimes those thoughts are there because these comments just slip out of my girlfriend's mouths every once in a while. And I really don't think they mean any harm, you know, but it still hurts. And I think, I think it hurts more actually when those comments are coming from a place of love. So it's like, you know, think about the classic example of grandma making your favorite cookies just for you, right? And, you know, she puts this plate of fresh out of the oven, beautiful chocolate chip cookies that smell so good and her face is beaming and you know it comes from a place of love and how the heck are you supposed to say no to that without feeling bad feeling bad about it right or it's like this happens in my household all the time like when your partner makes you your favorite treat after a hard day and you eat it even when you don't want to because you don't want to hurt his feelings after this kind gesture right like my husband does this all of the time. Like when I come home from a work, uh, like a shift at work that ends at three o'clock in the morning or, you know, some other ungodly hour, most of the time I'll come home and he'll have a pair of pajamas and a love note and a little chocolate on the table waiting for me. And it is just such a beautiful, kind gesture that like, how can I not eat the chocolate? And, you know, fortunately, and we'll talk about this later in the episode, I had a conversation with my husband about this and and he doesn't do that anymore. But for a long time, I just did not want to hurt his feelings after doing such a beautiful, kind gesture. So I would eat the chocolate. But here's the thing that I learned about all of that is that even though it was him leaving me the chocolate, the decision to eat it was all on me. It was all on me, not him. And so communicating about all of that with him just became so important. And again, we'll talk about that in in just a little bit. And I sat down and I thought about this and in terms of my own experience with food pushers. Um, and I think there's there's just kind of four types of food police that I've commonly encountered over the years. And I'm sure some of these will sound at least a little bit familiar to you. And so the first one and the most common that I've experienced are the experts, right? These are the people who really believe that they know everything there is to know about how to eat and believe that this is the only way you should be eating too, right? So I hear lots of chatter about this in my workplace, right? It's um, people these days are counting macros and eating keto, right? Like you cannot throw a stone out there in the world without hitting somebody eating eating keto or counting macros. And I, you know, I hear about this all the time. And you know, the experts are always following the latest diet trends and the latest fads, or you know, they're really gung ho about 
a certain supplement or a pill or something like this, and they're talking about it all the time. And they want to be helpful, right? Because they feel that they've had a little bit of success and they've maybe seen some other people have success as well. And so they want to share this vast amount of knowledge they've amassed from their experience with you so that you can be successful too. However, you know, because we talk about it all the time on this podcast, that there is no one right way to eat for everybody. And it's up to each one of us to learn about our bodies, to understand our bodies, and then feed it according to what our body needs, not what the so-called experts out there need. Um, but so we encounter the, that first group, the experts, all of the time. Now, the second type of food police that we often encounter is, you know, the critic. And these are these are painful when you encounter them, encounter them, right? These are the people who are going to criticize you no matter what you're eating, right? And often in some kind of annoying passive aggressive sort of way, right? And like this is when they're offering that unsolicited advice and commentary, right? It's it's, you know, Mm, the woman who says, you know what, I used to overeat when I was a teenager and, you know, my mom took me to Weight Watchers and I learned this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, Weight Watchers really helped me. So you should give it a try too, right? Or, you know, sometimes it's it's like, are you sure you want another serving of that? Um, you know, those those subtle little digging, jabbing questions that hurt like hell. Those are the critics. All right. And then the third group that we commonly encounter are the bad influencers, right? So the, the, these are all over the place. And I just spent a bunch of time with bad influencers over my, you know, a few Christmas parties I've had over the, the last weekend. And, you know, these are the friends that want to go out drinking all the time, right? Or, or like my mom always offering the second um, serving a food when you don't want it or saying, you know what, just have one more cookie, have one more, right? Let's, let's just have fun. Don't be such a stick in the mud. Don't be a funny daddy, right? These are the bad influencers. They're just trying to drag you along into mo more food, more drink, just for the fun of it. And, you know, I think that can be subtle, right? Because it feels like you're just being invited out for a night on the town, but it, it just sometimes feels like there's just this element of wanting to sabotage you underneath, or perhaps even just this subtle sense of not being respected or not being heard, right? Like when your friends know that you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to live a healthier lifestyle and they're constantly suggesting that you come do things that are going to counteract everything that you're trying to do for yourself, it just leaves you feeling unheard and unseen and unloved and disrespected by your friends. So this group can be a painful um, group of food police as well. And then I think the fourth common type of food police is really just those food pushers, right? And this is this comes back to grandma's cookies, right? Or um you know, here, here's a good example. I almost became a food pusher to a colleague at work the other day. So unfortunately, I have to work Christmas this year, but a catering company in the community has graciously offered um, to bring in these little food boxes, um, these COVID-friendly, pandemic-safe 
food boxes for those of us working on Christmas. And there's a vegetarian option and a meat option. So I reached out to my colleagues who are also working on Christmas to ask them what their preference is. And one colleague said to me, no, thank you. I don't eat at work. And my instinct was initially to say, but but it's Christmas. Surely you can make an exception, right? And it was just so um, instinctual for me to want to say this, to want to celebrate um, Christmas with him with this food on shift, that I actually had to bite my tongue and remind myself, you know, to respect his decision and not push this food um, box on him. So those are the four common types of food police that we commonly see. The experts, the critics, the bad influencers, and those darn food pushers. And I think Another very common and never really talked about form of food police are the thoughts that you have in your own head. All the stories that you make up about what you think you should or shouldn't be eating. And, you know, this comes from a lifetime of labeling food as good or bad and, you know, saying, I can't eat carbs, I can't eat sugar, I can't eat processed foods. And, this voice that you have in your head that tells you what you should eat and when you should eat it acts in the same way all of those external food police do. And when you judge every single little bite you put in your mouth, that's when you start to create all of these stories around food. And these can be subtle thoughts, again, that that may sound like they're trying to take care of you, but are really sabotaging you at the end of the day. So these are thoughts like, mm, this has too many calories, or I shouldn't be eating at night, or, well, I had that cupcake tonight, so I'm going to have to work it off tomorrow, or it's only 11 o'clock, it's not time to eat lunch yet, right? All of these rules that we give ourselves around food, this self-talk is really just another way of being food police in our own lives. And I think a lot of that comes from our diet culture, of course, right? That's where we get all of these pesky thoughts from in the first place. And, right, this pervasive idea out there that fat and food will kill you and that carbs will make you fat and, like, all of the other food rules out there, they just get ingrained in us. We start to believe them, and then we start judging ourselves and making rules for ourselves around the way that we eat, which really isn't helpful in the long run because what do rules do? Rules put the control over what we eat outside of ourselves. And what is so important is that we shut those voices down and tune in to actually listen to what our body is telling us that it wants. That's the key to all of this. And to circle back to those external food police and, you know, link that into how we talk to ourselves, here's what I know for sure that people, including yourself, can actually change when you simply tell them what you need. When it feels like others aren't supporting us or when it feels like we're not really being supportive of, our, of ourselves, it's often because they just don't understand what it is that we need from them. And yeah, I mean, of course, there's going to be exceptions, right? It's 
you know, common scenario is you've got two girlfriends, both are trying to lose weight. One is doing really well. One is struggling and the struggling one is going to be feeling sorry for themselves and being just a little bit angry with you for being so successful that even if it's on a subconscious level, they're going to have those, you know, little snide remarks, those little food police commentaries that are going to make you feel bad because it's going to make them feel a little bit better. So it's important that we recognize when this is happening and just have honest conversations about the people we love. And it also comes back to that example with my colleague and the food box for our Christmas meal at work. Also recognize when maybe you are being the food police in somebody else's life um, or in your own life as well, right? Look at how you're talking about food with your kids. Are you forcing them to eat more when they're no longer hungry? Are you encouraging them to finish their plate even if they're full? Like, can you notice where you are maybe also being a little bit of the food police inside your own family? And then also think about, you know, when your friends and family are questioning you, you know, for example, when they were questioning me about wanting to be a vegetarian when I was a child, and it's not always because they doubt you or your decisions or your abilities to succeed. It's often because they're doubting themselves. They just don't get it. And this is what diet culture has done to us, is we all think that there is this right and wrong way to eat, but nobody knows exactly for sure what the right way is, what the wrong way is, and there's all these questions. And so I think a lot of us are looking to each other to see what's working for her, what's working for her, what did she try once that worked or didn't work, and how should I incorporate that knowledge into my life. So we're constantly watching each other and wondering what can we take? What what lessons can we learn that we can apply to our own life? And I think also that when some people have health goals in their own and in, in their own life that they aren't meeting, and then they see you succeeding, they feel bad about themselves and they take it out on you. I just, I've seen that happen in my own life and I watch it happen in the lives of my clients all the time. And the important thing to remember is that this is always about them. It is never about you. It just takes the courage to step back for a moment, kind of watch the conversations unfold around you and really understand that, again, this is about them. It's not about you. And I think what comes along with this is really developing a skill to look at your own behaviors and the decisions that you're making around food and decide for yourself how you feel about that and then be confident in that when other people offer their commentary. And so in my coaching programs, I have my clients actually step on the scale every day. And I know a lot of people think that this is like a complete asinine thing to do. And we do it not to track the weight, but to monitor the thoughts that we're thinking when we step on the scale. It's really just an exercise to teach ourselves how to detach ourselves from that number and not make that number on the scale mean anything. And so in the program, we have a little ritual around stepping on the scale. And that ritual involves looking at your day 
or your week that has just gone by and asking yourself, do I feel good about the decisions I made? Do I feel good about how I showed up for myself? And then you've already decided how you're going to feel about how you've been showing up for yourself when you step on the scale, right? And so that is a great practice to be doing whether or not you incorporate um, the scale into it is just thinking like, do I feel good about how I'm eating? Do I feel energetic and healthy? Do I feel like I'm making food choices that fit within my ethics, um, my budget, all of the things, right? How do I feel in my body? Am I losing weight? Am I meeting my goals? And decide for you if it's working. And if you've made the decision that it's not working, the next step is not to go out and ask your friends or read more books or buy another program off the internet. It is to sit down with yourself, close your eyes, take some deep breaths, check in, and ask your body what it needs, right? So if you turn that journey inwards rather than looking outside of yourselves for all the answers, the food police are going to have so much less influence over you. And I think one thing that gets in the way of us doing this successfully is that sometimes there's a lot of fear around how your relationships or your friendships might change if you do call your friends out on their food pushing behavior or their food policing behavior, right? It's like maybe your drinking buddies think they'll miss you at happy hour, right? Or if your social circle only revolves around food and going out for dinner or related things like that, then those relationships might change if you put some boundaries around them, right? And, you know, Think about, you know, if you go out for lunch with a friend and you're full, so you decide not to eat, you might worry that your friend will feel uncomfortable eating alone. And so you'll eat just to make them feel better, right? Things like this. And again, the solution to all of that is to trust in your own ability to succeed with all of this and commit to the plan that you've created for yourself. And, you know, sometimes when you reflect back on your own lack of self-confidence, you may, you may, interpret that as a lack of support from your friends but really it's it's just reflecting your own lack of self-confidence when you're not able to really have a conversation with your friends about why you're making the decisions that you are and sticking to that right we're always so afraid of hurting other people's feelings that we will hurt ourselves time and time again to protect the feelings of our friends and family around us but you also have to remember that you will often be faced with people who will want to take you down a notch or just don't really give a crap about the journey that you're on. They're, you know, whether it's because they lack insight or because they are so wrapped up in their own lack of self-confidence that, you know, knocking you down a notch is going to make themselves feel better. And, you know, that's okay right? That is okay. If you encounter people who are deliberately trying to make you feel bad, just remember that you are doing this for you and not them. And you are not responsible for their sense of self-worth or their self-confidence. You're only responsible for your own. So if you commit to your fundamental strategies for losing weight, and if you make your own decisions based on your why and 
your goals and your own health, what anybody else says or does doesn't matter. You really need to become your own biggest fan. And you can't expect other people to be the cheerleader for you all the time. Some of this needs to come from your own inner strength. It can be freaking scary to make big changes to your lifestyle and to your body, right? And those of us who are on that journey, we know that before we even see changes on the outside, so many things change on the inside. And that is including how we relate to our friends and our families. So many of us overeat because of a lack of boundaries in families, right? And once we start putting those boundaries in place, of course things change. So it can be it can be very scary. And you know, one way to become your biggest fan, to become your biggest cheerleader and to step outside of that fear is to celebrate every single win you accumulate along the way, no matter how small. And when you do that, it somehow makes it just a little bit easier to say no to the food pushers and to put boundaries in place around the bad influencers and all of the other things. And of course, this really starts with practicing self-awareness. And that starts with being aware of the dialogue that you have going on in your own head around food and the rules that you're putting on yourself around food and how you eat. And a great way to develop some of this awareness is to start looking at your patterns. Like pay attention to how you might eat differently in certain situations or around certain people, right? Like I totally eat differently when I'm at my mom's house, for sure. And I eat very differently when I am going out with, you know, a group of women. You know, for example, I was out with some colleagues for dinner last night and I was terrified to be the person to order first because I was afraid of being judged for my choices. And, you know, I'm, I'm human. I still struggle. I still struggle with all of this. And so I notice that I am very self-conscious um, about my food choices when I'm eating in the presence of other women, especially women who I perceive as, as having, you know, thin, healthy bodies and not struggling with food at all, right? And of course, that is coming from me judging my own self. I'm quite uncertain that if I asked any of these women I was out for dinner with, not a single one of them gave any thought to what I ate, right? It was all just me judging myself and lacking self-confidence. And so the next step, once you've developed that awareness, is to see if there are places where you can start replacing some of your restrictive thoughts with more realistic ones. And one thing that I love to do when it comes to your your own thoughts is just asking yourself, is it really true? And so this is what I actually did with myself at dinner last night with my friends. I caught myself thinking, are they going to judge me for what I'm choosing off the menu? They're judging me. I'm certain they're judging me. And I just felt so self-conscious. And then I asked myself, is it really true? And I decided, you know what? It's probably not true. It's 
probably the case that they're not even noticing what I'm eating because they're focusing on their own choices and the amazing conversation that we were having. And then I decided if it even is true, if they are judging me, then that is on them, not me. And I ordered my green Thai curry with shrimp and I enjoyed every bite of it. It was lovely. Another part of developing that self-awareness is also becoming aware of how other people are playing the role of the food police in your life. Notice where the critics are, where the food pushers are, where the bad influencers are, where the experts are, and you know, see if you can notice where it tends to be more about them rather than you, even when it feels personal and hurtful right? That is the key to stepping outside of the pain when people make these subtle little judgy comments to you. It's really just taking a step back and asking where those comments are coming from and noticing that it is all about them when people make those comments and not about you. And then finally, as I mentioned earlier, you really want to take a look at how you're setting boundaries with your loved ones. I think it's important that we take the time to communicate these boundaries with the people that we love, especially the people we live with, our families, so that they understand that, you know, some of these behaviors that they have or these comments that they make to you, they may not understand that it's hurtful or that it's making it difficult for you, right? If they're really just coming from a place of love, they'll want to hear what they can do to make it easier for you. And so it is okay for you to say things like, it's not okay to comment on my food choices, right? You can choose to explain why you're asking this, but you don't have to. And when it comes to communicating boundaries with your family or your friends, it's also important to let them know the consequences of overstepping the boundary. So for example, with my mother, if I say, if you talk about my food choices, I am just going to leave the table. And the key here is that that consequence has to be something that you're actually willing to follow through with, and then you follow through with it. And this is how your friends and family learn that is that it is not okay to make commentary on your food choices or to push food, right? And so when it came time for me to have that conversation with my husband about leaving the chocolates for me after my late shift, it was easy as saying... It hurts me when you do this because even though I know that you're making this kind gesture out of love, I don't feel good when I eat a chocolate at night. I don't sleep well afterwards. So I'm going to ask you not to do that anymore. If you want to still leave out the pajamas and a love note, I will take that with all the love in the world because I love you and I love the the, the love behind this gesture. But if you continue leaving the chocolates for me, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to eat them. And he respected that. And he started leaving me flowers instead, which I mean, what an amazing man, right? <laughs> and then, you know, an, a, one, one final thing that I will leave you with is that it is also okay to practice your responses ahead of time. So, you know, for example, I was at a party the other night where you know, people were walking around with trays of hors d'oeuvres, right? And in that situation, it's easy to say, you know, no, thank you. Lots of people are saying, no, thank you. But occasionally when I am in a group of people and 
the waiter came up with that plate and everybody else took one, I felt some pressure to take it um, as well. And recognizing full on that this was all about me, you know, and feeling self-conscious, but I did practice ahead of time saying, you know, thank you, but I'm not hungry or just no thank you, or I already ate. And, you know, just practicing those responses in my head so that they don't feel so foreign when the time actually comes. And so that's a strategy I encourage you to try as well, is when you know that you're heading into a social situation where there will be food pushers or people making commentary on the way that you eat, just practice ahead of time what your responses will be so that you feel just a little bit more comfortable when it comes time to actually executing it. And one thing I've learned over the years as well is that once you say, you know, no, thank you, the very next thing that you should do is just change the topic, change it off off of food and go somewhere else. So, you know, start asking about their kids or their work or their lives or whatever it is to just get the topic off of food. Um, Because I find... I get really worked up when people want to have conversations around food in social situations. I write, I'm an overweight woman. I obviously have opinions and issues around food, and I just don't want to talk about it with people I don't know very well. And I certainly don't want to talk about it in social situations when I'm trying to have fun. So uh, it's a great strategy is just change the topic of conversation. All right. And one final thing, and I realize I've just said one final thing three times, but I keep getting more ideas popping into my head. One thing that has been helpful for me just in terms of friendships and navigating the food commentary around that is to suggest spending time with friends in ways that don't involve food. So, I have a friend where we just choose to go on walks together instead of going out for dinner, things like this. And I find that that um, has actually enriched my friendships, partly because when I am in a social situation with food, I just feel so on guard and having to watch my thoughts and watch what I say. And I'm often feeling very uncomfortable because I'm concerned about being judged for the way that I'm eating, that I'm not really fully present with the friend there in front of me. And so now that we have chosen to spend time together in ways that don't involve food. And this one girlfriend that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of specifically understands, right? We, we had the conversation. She understands why I made this request. But we have both realized that we have become closer because when we're doing other things together that don't involve food, we're focused on each other. And I am not living in that sense of security. And our friendship has actually um, become much stronger and much more important to me because of that. And along the same lines, finding people who are on the same journey with you can help as well. So joining a Facebook community or, you know, finding a group of women who are on a similar journey and who are thinking about food in the same way you are might be a great thing to become involved with just so that you can have that sense of support and a safe place to explore all of these ideas and all of the things that you're experimenting in terms of food and your body with other women who are going to support you and not judge you or criticize you for that. All right, so that is all that I have for you today. If you are looking for a community to help you through all this, definitely consider joining us in our Nourish Yourself Body and Mind program. 
This is a six month group coaching program where we really learn how to tune out the external voices and tune in and really listen to what our body is trying to tell us so that we can give it what it needs. As part of that, we have the Nourishment Lounge, which is our community where we go through this process together. And it is absolutely the most beautiful community of women ever. So if you're interested in joining us there, just head on over to www nourishyourselfbodyandmind.com and join us there. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a very happy holiday season and we will talk again next week.